So I'd like to start with a prayer, as we should. Alvino Shabashimayim, our Father in heaven. Father, send your Holy Spirit inside of me. Keep your Holy Spirit inside of me, and your, may your words come through me. And may your people hear what you want them to hear, my Father. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. So those of y'all that did miss the 10 o'clock, um, you missed Cheryl giving us a history of dance at Beth Adonai. And it sure was interesting, because we haven't always had Beth or dance at Beth Adonai, from what I understand. And can you imagine us being without it? It's such an inter integral part of, of, of what we do, for sure. Um, I'm told that this probably won't be the hardest thing I have to do today. When I get in front of Rabbi Renee's class, I'm told that's going to be pretty torturous. <laughs> now, I don't think that's true, but that's just what I'm told. Um, in the book of Leviticus, our master, Yeshua, would have been exposed to that book when he was five years old, as all Jewish children are exposed to it. It's the first book of scripture that they actually study, is the book of Leviticus. And those of you that have read the book of Leviticus, you may have questions for that. Why is it? Why, why start with the book of Leviticus? Why not start in Genesis? Or why not start with um, Noah's, the story of Noah, or the story of Abraham? Or whatever would come to, to your mind. Because Leviticus is, is a lot of difficult things. There's, there's um, sacrifices, you know. There's, um, there's all these, these laws. There's all these, these things that um, a Bible teacher once told me are X-rated, you know. So a, children at five, a child at five years old is, uh, is exposed to, to the book of, of Leviticus. So why would that be? Because, see, we're, we're, we're from a different culture. We're, we're in the, the modern Western world, you know. We look at things a whole lot differently than the ancient Israelites would have looked at things. When we think of animal sacrifice, we don't really look at it in a, in a, in a good light. We look at it from a, um, almost a, uh, a cruel-type viewpoint, right? Repulsive, some people would say. But we should always remember that God's the one that ordained animal sacrifice. It's in, it's in the scripture. And, and what, a, what a sacrifice does is it takes the place of you. If you study Torah and you study um, uh, Daniel Lancaster is really, really good at, at, at articulating things in the Torah. He's, he, he's got a tremendous skill of writing and, and teaching too, if you ever saw his teaching. But he compares it when you, when you, before you give that animal to the priest to sacrifice for you, you would literally put all your weight on that animal. You, you, would, you, would, um, you would basically have that animal as much as possible take your place on that altar. It represented you. That's, what it, that's, that's how it worked. And something else about the sacrifices there were five different categories of them. There wasn't just one sacrifice that you, that you, that you had. The different categories. Each, each of those different or sacrifices had to do with a different type 
of way to get closer to the Lord. Something that, it, it was, there were sin offerings, there were burnt offerings, and, and each of these things means something. And that's another thing, when you study Torah, you can get into detail as to what all those off offerings mean. But I only have a little, little bit of time, so um, I can't get into everything, like all, all the details, but this week's Torah portion is called Emor. Emor means speak or say. Last week's Torah, Torah portion was Kedoshim, Kedoshim. And if you, if you were um, studying that Torah portion, what you would have learned was that the Lord was commanding the nation of Israel to be holy. Not just any particular individual, but the whole nation was to be holy. So um, what does it mean to be holy? What, what's this word holy mean? I mean, we've heard this all of our lives, right? And the, the thing is, is, is many of you in this congregation go through Torah classes and you've heard the word and you understand the word. There's some that are their second time here or, you know, that, that don't go to Torah classes and you hear that word. So when I was growing up, I think of it as an angel with a halo over her head, you know, or a saint with a halo over their head or something to do with the the priest, I was, I was raised Catholic, you know, something to do with the priest or, or the, um, the clergy, you know. Um, but holy is, um, is, it's the Hebrew word kadosh. That's, that's the word holy in Hebrew. And Hebrew um, kind of transliterate that or translate that as separate. You're to be separate. You're to be different. And that's what, what uh, last week's Torah portion was about. This week, Imor goes into great detail about the priest. This is the, the, the priest. The priests are expected to be holy. In this week's Torah portion, there are 63 commandments of the 613 commandments. Of those commandments, many of them are specifically for the priest. We can't keep them. But many of them are for the nation of Israel, that we can keep them to this day. Many of them have application to us today. When we read the requirements of a priest not being able to go near the, uh, a corpse, that doesn't compute for a lot of us that are used to ministers carrying out funerals. It's not something that we can really relate to because we've never been exposed to that before. It's just, um, and it's something that, that, you, uh, that you have to digest from a, even, even when it's explained to you, to try to understand what it's all about, right? But here's the thing. The priests were supposed to be not just holy, but I'll call it super holy because they're the ones that interceded for the people to God in his place, in his home, in his, um, in his temple. So they, the thing about a corpse was, and this, this has a lot to do with Messiah, the thing about a corpse was it was death, and God is not a God of death. He's a God of life. So when the priest is ministering and, and doing those sacrifices for you. It's for your life. It's to live. 
And Messiah is all about eternal life. That's what he brings us, right? So that's the thing, is, is uh, the one that's the most holy, that's right there with God, is, can't be put in a position to where they become unholy. That's why there's rules that they, that they have to go through once they, um, once they do become contaminated by a corpse. And there's a difference between priest and high priest. The high priest had, a, had even holier, even more restrictions than the priest did. So, all Torah portions, every week, and in the complete Jewish Bible does a really good job of laying this out, all Torah portions each week are broken into seven sections. They're back in the temple days, the Torah portion would be read in its entirety. We bring an Aliyah reader up here, and the Aliyah reader will read a section of Scripture and go through a little, you know, small seven-minute Aliyah. But back in the days of the temple, there would be seven readings, and the last reader would be called the Meftir reader. And the Meftir reader would read the final section of the Torah reading, then he would read the Haftorah reading, and then he would be the one that would teach that would sit down and teach. So um, I'm going to focus this morning, because I don't have enough time to do all that, <laughs> read all that, and, and, but I'm going to focus on um, three sections of the Torah portion for this morning, the fourth, fifth, and the sixth sections, which cover the appointed times of Adonai. There's a lot covered in this Torah portion, and um, whenever I was teaching Torah 5, I think it was, maybe it was even a little earlier than that, Helen would be in my class, and every week I would say, this Torah portion this week was unbelievable. And I'd say the same thing the next week, and Helen says, you know what, Bobby, you say that every week. <laughs> but she says, I agree with you. You know, and it's true, it's true, but this one in particular because it touches on all of the appointed times of the Lord. It, it covers the pilgrimage festivals as well as, as the other festivals. It, 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 um, it, it is a, um, it's a summary of the pattern of redemption is what it is. So it starts with Shabbat. This is a special day. It was a permanent sign signifying that the God had set apart, made holy, the nation of Israel. It reminded the nation of her unique calling and responsibility, which is why Shabbat is to be taken so seriously. The ultimate penalty of death for breaking the Shabbat ensured that God's people would fully observe the day. They would receive the blessing of rest, remember the creation, and so important, they would recall the covenant that God had made with them on a weekly basis. So our original Moedim, the first one listed in the book of Leviticus this week, or Vayikra, you know, Vayikra is probably easier to say than Leviticus is, is the Shabbat. Is the Shabbat only for the Jews? In Isaiah 56.2, it says, Happy is the person who does this, anyone who grasps it firmly, who keeps the Shabbat and does not profane it and keeps himself from doing evil. 
God desired to bless his people through this holy day, but it was not just given to the Jewish people. It was given to reveal insight into eternal truths for all of humanity. Isaiah 56, 6-7 says, And the foreigners who joined themselves to Adonai to serve him, to love the name of Adonai, and to be his workers, all who keep Sabbath and do not profane it, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Isn't that awesome? By being here today, you, all of you, are set apart. Around you right now, the world is going on. There's, it's a beautiful spring Saturday afternoon, and there's all types of stuff going on. But you, you're in the house of the Lord. You're drawing nearer to God, and that is part of what being holy is. That's part of what being set apart is. So, um, Rain, if you could put up on the screen Leviticus 23, 5 through 8. During the first month of the 14th day of the month, in the evening, is Adonai's Passover. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Matzah to Adonai. For seven days you are to eat matzah. On the first day, you are to have a holy convocation, and you should do no regular work. Instead, you are to present an offering made by fire to Adonai for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation when you are to do no regular work. What's being described here is the festival of Pesach. It's the very first pilgrimage festival. It's also the first in God's calendar. It's, it's the, God's calendar, the biblical calendar, was given to the, um, the, the Israelites in Exodus. The month of Nisan is the first month, which is what it's referring to there as the, uh, as the month of Nisan. Pasach, Pesach, or Passover in Hebrew, commemorates the exodus from Egypt. It, its name comes from the miracle which God passed over the houses of Israelites during the 10th plague. We all know this. Centered on the family and communal celebration of the Seder meal, a ritual meal. This is why we don't have a community Seder anymore. We, it, Judy and Rabbi and the board talked about this, you know, and um, in the scripture, it tells us it's supposed to be close gatherings. Now, we don't do a good job with new folks, uh, we have it in the past, we'll try to do better, of giving you guys a place to go that are doing it for the first time. So we, we need to do that, or you just joined us or something, you know? That's something we need to do better. But it's, it's more intimate. It's, it's more meaningful. It's more um, special if, if you do it in small groups because then you're more comfortable and you can ask questions and you can... You can go about it leisurely, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing, especially nowadays because of the way the time changes. You're in there late at night, you know. So the story of Passover is given to us in Parsha Bo. The fifth reader of that week's Torah portion would read this passage on that Shabbat. Passover is the season of redemption. So, Rain, let's go to Leviticus 23, 9 through 16. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Mene Israel, 
and tell them, when you have come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you are to bring the omer of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen. He is to wave the omer before Adonai to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Shabbat, the Kohen is to wave it. On the day when you wave the omer, you are to offer a male lamb without blemish, one year old, as a burnt offering to Adonai. The grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an epeth, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to Adonai for a soothing aroma. Its drink offering with it should be a quarter of a gallon of wine. You are not to eat bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generation in all your dwellings. Then you are to count from the morrow after the Shabbat for the day that you brought the omer of the wave offering, seven complete Shabbat. Shabbat, uh, Shabbatot, so it says. Shabbatot. Until the morrow after the seventh Shabbat, you are to count 50 days and then present a new grain offering to Adonai. So, what's being described here is the first fruits and Shabbatot. See, the good thing about Shavuot, the thing about Shavuot, and what we're going through right now by counting the Omer, is Pesach and Shavuot are connected. They're connected with each other. That, we, we, we celebrate the first fruits on this Sunday after the resurrection because in the time Messiah was crucified, he was actually risen on Sunday. Now, that doesn't mean, now, we follow a Hebrew calendar, so it, it doesn't fall on Sunday every year for us because Nisan 15 can fall any day of the week, okay? But that particular year, it was on a Sunday. So we, the, 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 the celebration of first fruits is still there. It's always been there. It was at the time that Messiah rose, three days later, just like now, you know, and the days start at night, just how, you know, so many of us know. So this first fruit offering has all types of messianic implications because first fruit is life. They're, they're, they're thanking the Lord for these seven species. You know, that's what the first fruits would have been, one of the seven species. Now I tried to figure out which is the first of the species to get right because they were going to bring because I really would have thought that. So if you have that information, anybody, let me know. But it's one of them. It's one of the seven species is, is, um, is, is what they bring to the altar. But it's thanking the Lord for life, for the life-giving, the fruit, the, the, the things that they sustain themselves on. Because nowadays in Israel, those seven species are not as important in their diet as it was back in the, the, the time the scriptures were written. But, but they're still just as important. And the life is the thing that Messiah gave us by raising himself from the dead on that day. Eternal life came from that day. So that, that was the first fruit day. Now, um, we go and we count the omer, and when we get to Shavuot, we have another fruit. We have another celebration of a, of a grain harvest. An omer is a measurement, is all it is. In the days of the temple... Bringing the offering of the first fruits as a thanksgiving tithe to God was quite an elaborate ceremony. The Talmud describes how a priest would meet Jewish pilgrims as they entered the city and lead them up to the Temple Mount. 
The priest would lead a praise service with music, the Hallel, which is psalms, and dance. The priest would take the barley sheaves, lift some in the air, and wave them in every direction. By doing so, the whole assembly would be acknowledging God's provision and sovereignty over the whole earth. The counting of the Omer. The foremost reason to obey the Lord is that the count demonstrates our thrill, our thrill for the impending occasion of receiving the Torah. That's what we're celebrating. That's what was being celebrated thousands of years ago. That's what the disciples were doing in the temple on Shavuot. They were celebrating the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. That is one of the primary reasons for Shavuot in addition to the Omer har harvest or to the barley harvest, the Omer of barley. Just as a child often counts the days to the end of school, and I know some of you children can relate to that because we're getting close, right? So in college, we're out, a lot of them. It's anticipation. It's anticipation of an ex exciting event that's about to happen for them. Counting in anticipation is very understandable. We should not count down to Shavuot. We should count up to Shavuot because we are ascending to the mountain of the Lord to receive his Torah. To better understand, we first need to answer a basic question. Why did God wait 50 days after the Jews left Egypt before giving the Torah? To better understand what? To better understand why 50 days? Why does it take 50 days from Pesach to get the Torah? Okay? Why didn't he simply give it to them in Egypt immediately after they departed? The answer is that Jews were not yet spiritually equipped to receive the Torah. For over 200 years, they'd been living in Egypt, in that society known to be a world center for immorality and vice. Today is day 28, and tonight is sunset, which is day 29. Life is a process. Learning is a process. A man told me one time that... Uh, there's no shortcut to success. And I've held on to that for 50 years. It's all true. Nothing that's worthwhile in life, nothing that's worthwhile in life comes easy. You have to work for anything that's meaningful. Relationships are not easy. Relationships are work. They're beautiful, though. They're wonderful. Jobs are not easy. Jobs are work. They say that um, the best businesses in the world are created for one of two reasons. It's either desperation or it's inspiration. One of the two. Either one takes a lot of work. Shavuot means 50, as does the word Pentecost. It was 50 days from the exodus of Egypt to the giving of the law, the Torah, on Mount Sinai. It was also 50 days from the crucifixion of Yeshua until the giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples there in that temple on that day. In Leviticus 23, we see the Lord sets apart the counting of 50 days beginning with the barley harvest, also known as the first fruits of waving of the Omar barley, 
At the culmination of the 50 days, the Lord says that there is to be a holy convocation or a gathering. We learn from ancient Hebrew sources that significant events occurred when the children of Israel received the Torah, the law, at Mount Sinai on Shavuot. They heard a great rushing of wind, and 70 known languages were heard and saw flames of fire surrounding the camp. That's exactly what happened on the Shavuot with the disciples. That is not a coincidence. That is exactly what happened. It's in the Torah. And Yeshua spent 40 days with those disciples after the resurrection of the dead, after spending three years with them, okay, to prepare them for what they were about to do. During that time, 40 days was going as the counting of the Omer. The first 40 days of the counting of the Omer was when Yeshua was with them. He ordered his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they had received the promise of the Father, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, 5. 1, 1 through 5. This was fulfilled 10 days later on Shavuot when the disciples were gathered together as commanded by Yeshua. Rain, if you'll put up 23, 23 through 25. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing the shofar, the shofarot, a holy convocation. You are to do no regular work, and you are to present an offering made by fire to Adonai. What's being described here is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. It's also a celebration of God's creation of the world. That's why it's a new year. You have different years, right? I mean, we've talked about this before. It's also the Day of Judgment. Unlike the secular New Year, when it's celebrated in the civilized world with partying and drinking to excess and all the things that go on, the dropping of balls, the peaches, all that. The Jewish New Year is celebrated by reflecting upon the past, correcting one's mistakes, planning for the future, praying for a healthy and sweet year, and celebrating with holiday meals. Rosh Hashanah, as I said, is also called Yom Teruah, the day of the shofar, because we usher in the day with the blowing of the shofar. On Rosh Hashanah, we pray that we are inscribed into the book of life for health, for sustenance. It is a day of judgment, yet we celebrate with festival meals with family and friends. How can we celebrate when our lives hang in the balance? Because we trust. We trust that our heart and our intentions and the love of God will protect us. And it does and always will. Uh, Reign Leviticus 23, 26-32. And Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, However, the tenth day of this seventh month is Yom Kippur, a holy convocation to you, so you are to afflict yourselves. You are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. You are not to do any kind of work on that set day, for it is Yom Kippur, to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. For anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. Anyone who does not 
anyone who does any kind of work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You should do no kind of work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It is to be a Shabbat of solemn rest for you, and you are to humble your souls on the ninth day of the month in the evening from the evening until evening. You are to keep your Sabbath. It's a common theme that he says it's forever. It would seem to make more sense that you would have the Day of Atonement before the Day of Judgment. However, until we recognize our Creator and internalize the magnitude and consequences of our actions, we cannot truly seek to change ourselves or seek atonement. That is why there are three essential themes to Rosh Hashanah. Malkuyot, which is kingship, Zingronot, which is providence, and Shofrot, which is revelation. The Musaf, which is the additional prayer service, is structured around those three themes. The whole service that day is. The period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is known as the Ten Days of Repentance. The name appears in sources from the land of Israel, including the Jerusalem Talmud. The concept of these days as a special unit of time in the Jewish years dates to at least the 3rd century B.C. Three books are opened in heaven on Rosh Hashanah, one for the completely wicked, one for the completely righteous, and one for those in between. And we also have another book called the Lamb's Book of Life. The completely righteous are immediately inscribed in the Book of Life. Being completely righteous, I don't know how many there are. It's, it's a tough thing to be. The completely wicked are immediately written to the Book of Death. The fate of those in between is suspended until Yom Kippur. If they do well, they are inscribed into the Book of Life, if not in the Book of Death. We have ten days in there to make a decision, to work toward righteousness. And of course, we are in Messiah. We are covered. We are covered. The ten days of repentance are seen as an opportunity for change. And since the extremes of complete righteousness and the completely wickedness are few and far between, Rosh Hashanah functions for the majority of the people as the opening for a trial that extends until Yom Kippur. It is an unusual trial. Most trials are used to, in, most trials are intended to determine responsibility for past deeds. This one, however, has an added dimension. Determining what can be done about future deeds. The ten days of repentance are crucial to the outcome of the trial since our verdict is determined by both our attitude toward our misdeeds and by our attempts to rectify them by changing ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's a very important time. And last, let's go to Leviticus uh, 33 through 36. I'm 23 through 36, I'm sorry. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Speak to B'nai Israel and say on the 15th day of the seventh month is the feast of Sukkot for seven days to Adonai. On the first day there is to be a holy convocation. You are to do no laborious work. For seven days you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. The eighth day will be a holy convocation to you, and you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. It is a solemn assembly. You should do no laborious work. These are the Moedim of Adonai, which 
you are to proclaim to the holy convocation, to be a holy convocation, to present an offering by fire to Adonai, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, each in his own way, on, in his own, in it, on its own day, I'm sorry. Besides those of the Shabbat of Adonai and besides your gifts, all our vows and all your freewill offerings which you gave to Adonai. I began this, that's enough. I began this about um, sacrifices, you know. And all of these festivals have got the sacrifices in there. Understanding sacrifices is crucial to understanding the, um, the Shabbat. The one I was just reading was describing Sukkot. The festival of Sukkot begins on Teshri 15. It's the fifth day after Yom Kippur. It is quite a drastic transition from one of the most solemn holidays of Yom Kippur in our year to one of the most joyous. Sukkot is so unreservedly joyful that it is commonly referred to in Jewish prayer and literature as Zaman Sim Chatanu, which is the season of our rejoicing. We build sukkahs, we eat festive meals, and we celebrate God living amongst his people. This is the fulfillment of the completion of the annual cycle of God's Moedim. Here at Bath and I, we have something every night. It's a beautiful thing. We, we, we have a lot of fun with that. And thank you very much for the worship team that puts that on. So this is the cycle. God is a God of order. God gives us this every single year, this cycle. And this Torah portion, we are blessed. I was blessed to be able to, uh, to bring this, really, to, to deliver this. Because it's so, it's so important, you know. And if, if you've never been involved in this before, which most of you have, I understand. But the ones that haven't, hearing this and understanding it, even if it's from a 50,000-foot view like this, is so important to understand. So I've got a little summary I'm going to go back through here. Shabbat. It's a weekly meeting with the Lord where we do engross ourselves in the word of his Torah. It is a regular event each week to reinforce his words in our heart. Pesach and the festival of unleavened bread celebrates the redemption of his people from bondage in the land of Egypt. Moses was a redeemer sent by God to redeem his people and to lead them to the promised land here on earth. Isn't it clear the parallel between the redemption of his people from Egypt and the redemption our Messiah promised? Yeshua is an emissary on our behalf, reuniting us with our Creator for eternity. Shavuot is a wonderful celebration that has taken place for thousands of years, not just because of the great harvest of, or the Ruach HaKodesh descending upon Yeshua's disciples, but it is on, on this day that we celebrate the giving of the Torah to God's chosen people. How else are we to draw near and get to know our God but through His Word? His eternal word is found in his Torah. Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the shofar, is a rehearsal for the triumphant return of our Messiah. Even though many of the Jewish people do not recognize Yeshua as their Messiah, they still expect a triumphant Messiah to usher in Yom Teruah one day. This is Judgment Day. It is on this day that we will stand before our Master, and we will account for our lives. We're still going to be judged. We're covered by the blood of Yeshua, but we're still going to answer. Yom Kippur is a, day of atone, is a day of atonement. We have a final opportunity to atone for ourselves. 
Think about the similarities in denying ourselves of food and drink and dressing in all white. Jewish burials have the body in all white shrouds. The high priest wore a simple white linen clothing only into the Holy of Holies. White is a symbol of purity. We make the effort to purify ourselves to be able to enter into the presence of the Lord. It's on this day we are written into the Lamb's book of life or the book of death. Sukkot is the festival of the Lord dwelling with his people. It is the last festival and appropriately so. Why? Because it is the ultimate goal of all believers and it's God's plan to ultimately dwell with his people for eternity. We celebrate Sukkot in anticipation of that reality. Jewish weddings typically last for eight days. The banquet of Messiah during the great Sukkot will be a great celebration for eight days. How is it that so many of us, those around us don't understand or celebrate the Lord's appointed times? Think about this. The Bible is by far the most printed and read book in the history of the world. All the Lord's appointed times are given to us right here in Emor, chapter 23 of the book of, Ex of Leviticus, by Ikra. And it is clearly stated that those Moedim are to be permanently celebrated throughout our generations. That was a common theme. There's a big difference in having the Word of God and understanding the Word of God. To gain understanding requires immersion. You must study intently to benefit from this great wisdom. God also must open your eyes and your ears so you can see and hear. God chose his people. He redeemed them from Egypt. He gave them his Torah, and he led them into the promised land in order that he might set them apart from the rest of the world. And in doing so, show the rest of the world the Creator's plan for how we are to live our lives. The Jewish people were and are to be an example for the rest of the world to follow. It is because of the efforts of the Jewish people to preserve and pass on from generation to generation not only the Word of God, but the understanding of the Word of God that we are able to have this today. Being messianic, we are part of that promise. And we have the same obligation. We are to be set apart. We are to be examples of godly living. When we come to an understanding of the meaning of God's word and it becomes part of the fabric of our everyday lives, it is our responsibility to share this. Not ball it up so it lives on and it continues to pass from generation to generation. I hope and pray that each of us lead our lives and we understand that calling. So let's bow our heads and pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Avinu Shabashamayam, thank you so much for this day, for this word, for our congregation, for Beth Adonai. Please um, protect Rabbi and Judy and Renee and all the men in their travels as they come back next week. And thank you for, um, 
for this wonderful day that you've given us, Shabbat, and our understanding of, of the importance of it and drawing nearer to you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Moedim. And thank you for us having the knowledge of your Moedim and for the experience that we go through each and every year. And I pray that our eyes will be opened, our ears would be opened, we would see and hear your word, and we would apply it to our everyday lives. And anyone we come in contact with, they would see you in us. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.